Welcome back to the 2021 Vasculitis Guidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pavan, and I'm excited to be talking today about the Vasculitis Guidelines Project with Dr. Sharon Chung. In case you're just tuning in, this is a podcast series from the Vasculitis Foundation, where I'll be reviewing the 2021 ACRVF-sponsored Vasculitis Guidelines and discussing the updated recommendations with one of the main authors of each guideline document. We have a great episode today, and I'm excited to share it with you. Now, usually I will do a little intro to the topic. In this case, I think it makes sense to dive right in. So today I will be talking with Dr. Sharon Chung. She's the director of the UCSF Vasculitis Clinic and the lead investigator on the Guidelines Committee. Dr. Chung, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, I'm really happy to have you. Uh, I think this will be a good episode because we kind of need to take a step back before we talk about all of these specific guidelines. I think it will be useful to talk about the guidelines themselves and give people a little bit of background for what went into this project. And since you had uh, such, a, such a critical role to it, I feel like you'd be a perfect person to talk to. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. So, so for starters, I just want to kick things off and just give like sort of a broad introduction. I mean, guidelines can be helpful in a lot of ways. And I think different people use them uh, in different ways, depending on who they are and how they're practicing and how comfortable they are with diseases. So how do you see these particular guidelines impacting clinical practice? You know, so I think when you think about vasculitis, they're not the most common of rheumatologic diseases. And there are practitioners who may not have as much experience caring for vasculitis as others. And therefore, when they, you know, when they're facing a patient with vasculitis, they want to have some resources to help them guide therapy. So first of all, I really think of these guidelines as a resource uh, for clinicians, as a way to kind of provide a roadmap for them on how to treat patients with specific types of vasculitis. So I think that's the first goal for the guidelines. I think the second goal for the guidelines is to help clinicians think about factors which should influence the types of therapies uh, that can be chosen. So, you know, in these guidelines, we provide um, alternatives to therapies and, you know, factors that we should consider when, um, when thinking about these alternatives. So I think that's another purpose of the guidelines. And I think a third purpose is actually to unfortunately point out where we have gaps in knowledge and to really kind of acknowledge that and hopefully maybe light a fire under someone to say, gosh, that's a really important question and we really should look into it so that the next time we embark on all of this, um, we have more information we can use to make you know, better treatment recommendations. So when I think about these guidelines, I think those are kind of the three main goals I have. I love that. I, I hadn't actually thought too much about the, the third goal. And, and that makes a lot of sense. When you sit down and say, what are the evidence for the things that we're doing and discover that there isn't any, you know, it's yes. <laughs> something you might not have noticed if you hadn't uh, gone yeah. through the exercise. Uh, or, so or you realize, you know, we have this evidence, but maybe it's not applicable these days because treatment practices have changed or something along those lines to really give us a sense of what the lay of the land is and places we should go. That makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, one reason I was excited to have you on is that uh, there's kind of a, there's sort of a veil that uh, behind which guidelines are made. And I was kind of curious to hear about the process itself. <laughs> you know, I, how are people selected and, you know, how did you get to recommendations? What, what did this look like behind the scenes? So I will make a confession 
and say that this process actually started, I hate to say it, in 2016. I think I was first approached to head this effort in 2016. And they were like, oh, it'll take a year, maybe two at most. And um, we are at 2021. So that's the first disclaimer. So um, there is a specific methodology used by the American College of Rheumatology to create guidelines. And it's called this GRADE methodology. Um, and it's actually used by multiple groups, not just the American College of Rheumatology. But what happens is this process is the following. Um, there is a core team that is assembled that includes a chair, which was myself and other experts in the field, as well as a literature review expert and a grade methodologist expert. And this core team, which for us was seven individuals, and we started meeting together to think about the scope of the project. Now we did something fairly unusual in this project in that we had a very broad scope. So most of the time, if you think about ACR guidelines, you think about a very focused area like glucocorticoid induced osteoporosis or um, you know, treatment of systemic JIA. So uh, you know, a one disease, or a very focused approach. Um, we were encouraged by the American College of Rheumatology to scope broadly, which means to take a look at multiple types of vasculitis. And I think in my inexperience that I didn't know what this effort would involve, we were like, sure, we'll handle seven different types of vasculitis in this effort. So we had a core team, we determined the scope of the project, and then we developed uh, what we felt were clinically relevant questions uh, for each of the seven different vasculitides uh, we wanted to handle. Now, as we were developing the scope of the project and developing the PICO questions, sorry, uh, the clinically relevant questions, um, we had others helping us. This included an expert panel um, to provide additional content expertise and our voting panel. And I'll get to those groups later. So with the core team, the expert panel and the voting panel, we developed a set of clinically relevant questions that would drive the literature review. Now the clinically relevant questions were created in this PICO format, P-I-C-O. Mm -hmm. And in this PICO format, you specify the patient population you're interested in studying. So we're interested in, for example, we're interested in studying patients with severe GPA or NPA. You develop the, um, uh, the intervention you're interested in looking at and the comparator uh, that you're interested in looking at and then the outcome of interest. So it may be, you know, for patients with severe GPA and MPA, what is the impact of using rituximab versus cyclophosphamide for remission induction when considering disease-related outcomes and adverse effects? You know, so that would be the example of a PICO question. So we, so these three groups um, in total developed about 176 PICO questions for the seven wow. different types of vasculitis. They were actually published uh, by the ACR 
for public comment. So we got public comment on those questions and we revised them accordingly. Once we had the PICO questions that we felt were important to answer, we sent it off to the literature review team. And I have to say, this was, I've described it as a Herculean effort for the literature review team because they essentially had to conduct a systematic review for each of the 176 questions that were developed. So that's, if you think about it, that's like doing 176 meta-analyses uh, for this project. Um, and I have to, give me a minute, I'm gonna look back. So, um, so this literature review actually, uh, hold on a second. Um, so they started in this literature review, they started out with 13,800 articles that were screened um, and eventually whittled it down to approximately 1,200 articles that were considered for this, for it to be used in an evidence report for the seven different types of vasculitis. So this literature review team, which was comprised of nine individuals, went through 1,200 articles. And going through the 1,200 articles, they generated what we called an evidence report. You know, what is the evidence to support these various interventions we're considering for a particular clinical question? So they generated evidence reports for each of the questions uh, that we developed. And then we took that evidence report and first um, uh, presented it to a patient panel. So 11 different individuals, 11 individuals with different types of vasculitis to get the patient's input on particular questions that we felt were particularly relevant. You know, for example, remission induction strategies and in ANCA-associated vasculitis or prednisone uh, courses, prednisone treatment for different types of vasculitis, et cetera. So we got the patient panel's opinion. And then we convened a voting panel and the, that voting panel took a look. So we went through the 176 PICO questions one by one and that voting panel took a look at the evidence report. We had a discussion about what that evidence report showed and then we generated and voted on a recommendation. And so we came up with recommendations based on those 176 questions. And then the core team took those recommendations and generated the manuscripts that are being published. Now, it's important to note that for each of the recommendations, we voted on a direction. So are we in support of something or are we against something? And then we voted on a strength. Do we strongly recommend it or do we conditionally recommend it? Um, and strong recommendations are those that you could base policy on. They've got, you know, lots of randomized controls supporting the recommendation, a lot of clinical experience behind that recommendation, and you could, you know, use it to indicate quality of care. Unfortunately, in vasculitis, most of the time we don't have strong recommendations because we don't have multitudes of randomized controlled trials supporting our decisions or our therapeutic interventions. And so then we have what are called conditional recommendations. And those conditional recommendations um, is where, you know, the majority of individuals would want to have a particular intervention, but the alternative is a reasonable consideration as well. 
And for any of the intervention, uh, for any of the recommendations that uh, we put forth, it had to have 70% consensus of the voting panel. So that's kind of how this process developed. Um, you had mentioned, uh, you know, composition. Um, so we try to have a representation of both adult and pediatric rheumatologists because these are diseases that affects both groups. Um, we try to have representation across the country. And also on our voting panel, we had two patients from the patient panel. All right, so that's it. Not too complicated. <laughs> that's probably one of the reasons why we've been doing this since 2016. Wow, that is incredible. And uh, a really brilliant little rundown there. I had a sense for some of the things that went on, but it was, it was really fun hearing it all, all laid out like that. Uh, so, much to, so much to dig into. So, so tell me about these voting panels. H how did that go? I mean, is it always just collegial and everyone's happy or do people kind of get, uh, get fired up about things on there? I think you realize that there are... Um, definitely different practice patterns mm -hmm. uh, across the country and um, in part reflected on uh, who you trained with and where you're from. I will confess, I am someone who, when thinking about cyclophosphamide, for example, I think about using oral cyclophosphamide because that's how I was trained. And there are definitely other individuals who think about intravenous cyclophosphamide because that's how they were trained. But I think one of the great things about the vasculitis um, research community and the vasculitis clinician community is that we're a very collegial group of people. We, we really do have, um, you know, a lot of respect for each other. And we all recognize that we have the same goal, which is to provide the best care for the patients. And so while there may be disagreements, you know, that, gosh, I really would prefer this, or I really would prefer that. Overall, we recognize we're trying to recommend the best possible care. And so we're real, I mean, it was actually a lot of fun um, because we are a collegial group of that's great to hear. As someone who's kind of recently getting into the vasculitis community, I can say that's very much been my experience. It's just very friendly and everyone's trying to help each other. And I think everyone really does have their, their hearts in the right place and is just trying to move things forward for patients, you know? And I, I, as an, I, yeah, I can say that I, as an IV cytoxin guy myself, I'm still <laughs> very happy talking to you here, you know? <laughs> you know, and, and I think um, I have to give credit to the vasculitis physicians who came before me because they really have established that collegial working group. So for example, we have the Vasculitis Clinical Research Consortium, which is a group of people really trying to work together to do clinical trials and other studies to support uh, you know, vasculitis. And you know, I think having those established collaborations goes a long way in making this a collegial group. And I think within those groups too, they've been very open to working with other people. I think there's less silos in this community in a way. So it's been, it's been good for me to kind of experience that. And the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, vasculitis is a disease that is far more rare than, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or gout or something along those lines. And we're not going to accomplish anything if we 
hold things to ourselves. Like there's, I'm never going to be able to do a clinical trial based in vasculitis only at UCSF alone. That's just not going to happen because we don't have that kind of patient population. So the only way we're going to move this field forward is by working together. And thankfully, um, we have a strong precedence to do so. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. And my next question was kind of along those lines and moving things forward. Now, it's hard to imagine redoing this project right now, but <laughs> what, what kind of plans are there to update this as things progress? Because, I mean, already this year, we're having a lot of interesting trials coming down the pipeline. So are, yeah. how, how do you view uh, guidelines that are published as a static document as something that moves forward and is useful for people in the future? You know, one of the reasons why this process was so complicated is that we were laying infrastructure for future updates. And so, for example, the literature review was done in a certain way, and the articles were reviewed with a particular software program in a particular way, so that um, we could go back in the future and say, okay, what did we previously, you know, annotate? How can we add to it with the new knowledge? I think the ACR went into this process with a firm belief that these would be guidelines that would be updated in the Mm -hmm. future. And so they went ahead and put in the infrastructure so that it could be done. So, you know, I don't know a specific timeline, but I would surmise that in a few years, maybe sooner, these guidelines will be readdressed and maybe new PICO questions will be developed and old PICO questions will be taken away and the literature review will be supplemented with the new articles that have been published and the entire process in some respects would be uh, repeated with, you know, voting panel and consensus building and things along those lines. So there's a definite expectation that this is going to be, you know, revised in the future. That makes sense. I mean, in a way you almost have to, especially in rheumatology where things are, are moving so quickly. And I do think that's part of the great approach too, is actually specifying how you're going to update, which is good. I mean, it's necessary, yeah. uh, especially for moving things forward and as things progress. So uh, I think that was all really interesting. I, my last question for you just before we head out is uh, what all have you learned from this? If you were to kind of take your meta points home or what, what's, your, what's your meta lesson from the whole process? I think the first and foremost, I think is a historical perspective in that um, I will date myself here and say when I started training, the only options for vasculitis were prednisone and cyclophosphamide. And it was actually um, during training where the first articles looking at remission maintenance therapy and ink-associated vasculitis were published. And now when you think about where we are, that we, you know, for diseases, we're developing multiple um, alternative therapies. We're learning more about how to use prednisone, how to minimize prednisone. We're learning more about the pathogenesis of these diseases. I think it's really um, exciting and fascinating for me to see how far we've progressed, um, even in, you know, I'll say this 
somewhat limited time. I've been a vasculitisologist, <laughs> if that is a word. Um, it's really exciting to see how much the field has moved forward, the new alternatives that our, uh, our patients are able to have for therapy, um, and, and just kind of see how much better uh, our patients are doing. When I talk to patients, I often say, you know, in the past, our goal was to keep patients alive. Just given the dismal survival for patients with vasculitis in the past, our goal for our trials was to keep patients alive. We're so far removed beyond that goal now. Now it's, you know, refining treatment, finding less toxic treatment, finding more targeted treatment. I think that's really exciting for me. And then I think we hinted on this earlier is that it's, it's been a really fun experience because of the community uh, that we have in vasculitis. Um, you know, I've, as I said, we've been doing this for a while. It's all volunteer. Um, people are giving up their weekends and their evenings and, you know, doing things in a rush fashion at times for, you know, paper reviews and things like that. People are doing this because we all believe um, you know, this is important for the field to kind of move us forward. So I think the community that we have here is also, you know, astounding. Ah, well, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. So uh, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I've, uh, I've learned a lot about this and uh, I just, it was great hearing your whole rundown of how this happened. Uh, <laughs> for our listeners, be sure to check out the Vasculitis Foundation. Uh, you can find them on their website at vasculitisfoundation.org or on Twitter at Vasculitis Found. You can find me at EB Room. And uh, thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. And thank you once again, Dr. Chong, for coming on the show. It's been great having you. Have a great day. You too.